Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is, I guess it's Wednesday, February 28th. Tomorrow is a day that only happens every couple of years, so it's kind of an enigma, kind of something special. Anyways, we have a big storm, maybe, coming to the Tahoe area. So, you know, we might have that to look forward to. I have the weekend off. I usually work up at the ski center a day a week, uh, just for a lot of reasons, but I, I like to ski, I like to be up there, blah, 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 but I'm not going to be up there this weekend because apparently we're going to get a shit ton of snow. I'll believe it when I see it, but other than that, I guess a couple things that have happened over the last few days, or I guess last week, more or less. First and foremost, Shane Gillis was on SNL, and I'm this isn't an original statement from me, I saw this somewhere online. But it's true, like SNL almost hired him, and he definitely is one of the funnier dudes out there. And there's, I, I was watching that SNL that he hosted last Saturday, and I was, I was getting a little bit sad because I'm like, SNL hasn't made me laugh that much in quite some time. And they were this close to bringing on someone that could really kill it. And yeah, he's controversial. I think he'd probably like to take back what he said that got him... I guess, fired from SNL before he even started. But they do need to bring on a little bit of controversy. And some of the skits that he had were pretty damn funny and pretty damn controversial at the same time. I also today, the main thing we're going to talk about is the Michigan primary, mainly Biden. And just kind of interesting results, I think a bit of a warning to Biden. But I do also just want to mention that I guess some some nights... I'll watch a show, read some of my book, and when I'm getting into bed, maybe I listen to it so you don't have to. Maybe I just kind of hate myself a little bit. But I will put on Joe Rogan and talk about how someone has changed. That guy has changed. But I really hated myself last week, and I put on the Kid Rock Joe Rogan episode. That's several hours of my life that I will never get back. Never, never, ever, ever, ever. And anyways... Oh, I want to say maybe half or two-thirds through it. They get into Israel and Gaza. And Kid Rock, who he thinks he's unique, he thinks he's cool, he thinks he's some MAGA celebrity. In reality, he's just a sheep who is following the whole movement. Honestly, one of the... I mean, he's, he's not even a good singer, by the way. <laughs> Side note, not, not someone I consider very talented. But he's also just become a MAGA a-hole over the last few years and just the worst type of person possible who focuses on shooting Bud Light cans when they endorse a trans celebrity, all of that type of stuff. But anyways, he's on Joe Rogan, and after about two hours of talking about conspiracy theories, and they go back and forth and they're just asking questions like they always are, Kid Rock, he's trying to be all tough. Again, a guy who has never fought in a war before or, you know, served or any of that. Not saying, you know, you have to serve to have these values, but He's talking about war and has very like strong opinions on it. He has no stake in the game. But anyways, he talks about how he thinks that everyone should just be killed in Gaza. They're all enemies. Kind of the really far right-wing policies that, again, I will get into it later, but stuff I think Trump would want to do if he was back into office. But Kid Rock's like, they're all enemies. Let's kill them all, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he talks about Israel has a right to do it after October 7th. Just kill them all. And even Joe Rogan, who usually just kind of agrees with his guests, seems kind of shocked here. And 
I guess my takeaway would be is that Kid Rock is mad and says Israel should be mad because of what Hamas did on October 7th. And so Israel has a right to respond. But then he's basically saying, let's just allow them to go kill women and children and innocent people in Gaza. But wouldn't they then be justified to also then want to react in the same way? Like if you're just taking an eye for an eye, it becomes a very dangerous game of chicken. And if I'm sure if Kid Rock lost everything and had nothing to win and his home was destroyed and everyone around him was dying or starving or whatnot, he probably also would be pretty violent and malicious. And I don't know, I just feel like I lost brain cells listening to Kid Rock, a very mediocre musical artist, um, give his foreign policy two cents. But then again, at the end of the day, it did remind me that this is a guy who's been going down to Mar-a-Lago quite a lot, golfing with the former president quite a lot. And at the end of the day, <laughs> maybe Trump actually listens to this guy. So that's nice. Anyways, let's get into Michigan. So if you're listening to this pod, you probably follow politics close enough at least to know that Michigan, somewhat of an important battleground state, it has been for quite some time, but I would argue for the 2024 general, it's going to be interesting. To put things into perspective, in 2016, people didn't think Trump was going to win Michigan, and he unexpectedly did, and the margins were extremely narrow. It was 0.23%. <laughs> Lovely. And that was 47.5% of the total votes over Hillary Clinton's 47.27. And that was huge. Apparently, this was the narrowest victory in Michigan's history in presidential elections and one of the narrowest in 2016 in general. Obviously, very important for Trump to actually have won in 2016. And one of the reasons why Trump didn't win in 2020 is because Biden ended up winning by a bit more about 3% he beat Trump by. I've done a podcast on this in the past. There were third parties, such as Jill Stein and Gary Johnson with the Libertarian Party in 2016 that I think helped take some votes away from Hillary Clinton. Less so from Trump, more from Hillary Clinton. And in 2020, there was more of a rally behind Biden moment. And so Biden wins, I think it was about 51% to Trump's 46.8% in 2020 in Michigan. And the problem here is that Biden needed the rally around effect to go into full full effect, not to use the word again, but he needed that to happen in 2020, and it did. 2024 is panning out to be completely different. And the reason I bring this up is because we just saw the Michigan primary happen for both parties, and the results were not exactly great. <laughs> some would say some would say we're overreacting. Maybe we are. It's early. But I do think Michigan could be a good indicator or at least through line into what could be a problem for Biden. So I want to talk about that for a little bit. I would argue that the warning calls now about Biden's electability are coming from inside the House. And by warning calls coming from inside the House, I mean the state of Michigan is sending a pretty brutal message to the Biden campaign, and this is a state that he kind of, sort of, definitely needs to win. And so The Guardian writes here in quotes, the uncommitted vote in Michigan is a warning shot to Biden's campaign over his support for Israel. And getting into that a little bit further, basically there was a grassroots campaign against Biden's so-called support of Israel's war on Gaza, and this grassroots campaign 
was called Listen to Michigan. And it was trying to get like 10,000 people to vote for it and the uncommitted vote over Biden. And it didn't just get 10,000, didn't just get 50,000. It got over 101,000 Michiganders that were registered as Democrats. And now, I mean, I have my own grievances with this. Like, I don't like the idea of uncommitted. Commit to something. This election that's coming up is not just like, ah, let's just, let's just put our thumb in the wind and see what happens. No, this is serious. And uncommitted doesn't make me feel better about alternatives. It's just kind of a middle finger to Biden. And I'm not going to reiterate all of this too much, but I would argue Biden isn't the genocidal Netanyahu supporter that people say he is. Him, Antony Blinken specifically, even Lloyd Austin to a certain extent, they are dealing with a very complex situation, and I would argue they've actually kept Bibi's government, Bibi Netanyahu that is, his government from doing worse. I do think that there are actors and groups and forces inside of Netanyahu's coalition government that are genocidal. I think it's getting harder to argue that there aren't some aspects of genocide happening right now. And I am sure as hell that the Biden administration understands this as well. So I've talked about that before, but I I think Biden is actually doing more behind the scenes than a lot of people give him credit for. But anyways, back to Michigan and the Listen to Michigan movement. The Guardian also talks about how Basically, organizers within this group, in quotes, urged voters to withdraw support from Biden and instead vote uncommitted. And as I said earlier, they hoped to get about 10,000 votes. Instead, they got about 100,000 votes. And this, to me, is a very clear sign that there are growing fractures in the Democratic Party. It has a very diverse coalition. And now, as I was telling someone, I think a few days ago on a run... I think it's actually good, in theory, that the Democratic Party has a very diverse coalition with a range of views going from center-left to progressive to democratic socialist to all of the above and or. And it's better than the entire Republican Party basically falling in line behind Trump and his lies and just going along with them even if they disagree with them and practically purging those that don't support him enough, even the most conservatives in theory like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, just to name a few. But in this case, this shows to me that Biden is becoming less popular with younger voters, progressives, the Arab community, etc. And I guess in a sense, this troubles me because we kind of need to beat Trump in 2024. Or I think he will try, he will, sorry, he will try to dismantle the administrative state. And this will hurt everything that Democrats and even center-right conservatives have worked on for a long time. Everything from effective government to effective policy to harming LGBTQ plus rights, as well as voting rights in several states, foreign policy, the war in Ukraine, the tariffs, the almost like mercantilist policies, the Trump tariffs and his protectionism want to expand on, all that type of stuff. And I know I've said this again and again, but Biden's victory depends on an effective anti-Trump coalition, and it doesn't seem like he has it like he had it in 2020, between the no labels bullshit, between the third party runs, all of it is somewhat troubling to me. I'll stop ranting about that though. So anyways, in just a month, this Listen to Michigan campaign basically mobilized progressives throughout Michigan. One of the specific areas was in Detroit suburbs and a lot of people inside of the Muslim community. 
And of course, this includes Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who obviously has been a pretty outspoken critic of Biden and his policy going on in Gaza. And I was telling my dad this a little bit ago. I was trying to explain like why Biden won in 2020 versus now. And see, the thing is, is in 2020, he didn't have as many people in his own party openly calling on people to vote against him. And this is happening more and more. Even Senator Bernie Sanders, who has been a big ally of Biden since he's been president, has called for stopping funding to Israel. And he has spoken more in direct terms about how this is looking more and more like a genocide. And so the calls, the warnings, the criticism, they're coming from inside the House. And that's really not good for Biden. Um, this Listen to Michigan campaign is, is basically some have called it a humanitarian vote, which I genuinely respect because I think what is happening in Gaza is a humanitarian nightmare at best and a genocide at worst. And hearing about more and more people being forced to eat animal feed to get by these type of stories of just more and more people dying, optics aside, the numbers, the tragedy, it's, it's horrible. It's really horrible. So you can understand why there is criticism for it, though I would argue somewhat wrongly directed. Getting back to the actual Listen to Michigan campaign, I think if you were in Biden's campaign, the more troubling thing, though, is that there's a lot of volunteers coming from outside of Michigan coming to help out. You have people coming from Illinois, Florida, even as far as Washington to volunteer for Listen to Michigan to basically like give a middle finger to Biden as the nominee. And on top of that, this is a cascading trend because we saw something similar happen in New Hampshire. Biden still won the write-in ticket, but they are trying to find ways to stifle his campaign in any way possible. And now with California coming up, California's primary coming up, I mean, we may see a similar movement to add a some form of a none-of-the-above option. And God, man, if Biden sees a decline in support in California, I'd be even more concerned. It's like, Jesus, man, we we are literally in 2024 and it's a none of the above election where voters in both parties, moderates in both parties want none of the above and are forced to pick like WTF, like WTF. Like, what does that say about our entire republic, our entire electoral process, the state of our politics? Spoiler, not great. And CNN, getting back to the numbers, which I am getting to, I promise, CNN has reported that as of earlier today, Biden and Trump have won their primaries. Again, by the way, two of the least popular presidential candidates in history. Again, I will vote for Biden. <laughs> I mean, I have to. I can't vote for Trump. And CNN talks about how with 99% of the vote, Trump won the Republican side with 68.1% and 12 delegates. Nikki Haley came in second with 26.6% and four delegates. So Nikki Haley, by the way, gets a little over a quarter of Republicans that turned out, and Trump a little over two-thirds. On the Democratic side, Biden got 81%, so good, and he gained 115 delegates. But it gets kind of interesting when you look at the other groups that came up after Biden on the Democratic side. Uncommitted, so that was the listen to Michigan ticket. <laughs> it got 13.2% and two delegates, followed by Marianne Williamson with 3% and Dean Phillips with about like 2.7%, I believe it was. 
Now, if you want to add more insult to injury, Marianne Williamson actually suspended her campaign a couple weeks ago and ended up beating Dean Phillips, even though she'd already suspended her campaign. So then I guess she decided to unsuspend it or something like that. <laughs> Lovely. Now, before we continue, you may be wondering like why Biden won over 100 delegates, but then Trump only 12 delegates out of 16. From my understanding, the GOP Michigan primary results, basically the votes that we saw happen yesterday, they only determine 16 of Michigan's 55 delegates. And then over this coming weekend, there's going to be a state party convention where the remaining 39 delegates will be basically given out or chosen and handed out based on preferences from delegates in different congressional districts inside of Michigan. So it's easy on the left where Democrats just need to try and win 117 delegates total. In this case, Biden gets 80 or sorry, um, gets 115 of those 117. And then uh, uh, listen to Michigan, the uncommitted got two delegates. It's easy. The votes just determine it. But on the Republican side, only 16 of 55 are actually given in this, and then they're kind of handpicked in the convention behind closed doors. I don't think this really helps the case that the Republican Party is pro-democracy and pro-voting when, <laughs> when about a third, a little less than a third of their delegates are actually chosen by the people. That's a whole other conversation, but it is really complicated. So that's why the delegate counts for each side are so much different. So getting back to it, the other thing that should be worrying for the Biden team is that turnout was much, was much higher for Trump than it was for Biden, talking about people that actually showed up in this primary. And I decided to do a simple thing called addition, and I added up the combined total of Biden, the uncommitted vote, Marianne Williamson's vote, and Dean Phillips's vote, and I got 768,256. Biden, of that number, got 623,415 votes at the time of recording, of course. 99% was in, so I think we're pretty pretty close. But Republican turnout was higher with 758,892 people voting for Trump alone. And over a million, 55, with 220 when adding in Nikki Haley. So you have over a million turning out for just Trump and Nikki Haley, only 768,000 turning out for the combined Democrats that I talked about. So turnout is a big issue here as well. There's plenty of time, of course, but if you need higher voter turnout to win a state that is going to be very close, losing support to uncommitted, not a good look. So it just, it, it tells me that more Republicans were willing to go out and vote than Democrats were. And that's a pretty big red flag if you are Joe Biden going into this saying, well, shit, we need, we need people to vote. Now, to be fair, there are people that I quite respect and follow who are saying this is a bit of an overreaction. Biden still cleaned house with 81%. There are also talks about Trump actually not doing quite as well, which is true. I mean, Nikki Haley got over a quarter of the vote of people that turned out. Of course, Nikki Haley, I, I think, has no shot to the presidency unless like a miracle happens. And I'd be fine with a miracle happening, but it's not going to. And But, but Trump is not getting as high of a percentage as some of us thought, which I guess is promising. But then on the Democratic side as well, Jonathan V. Last, or JVL as he goes by, has a good piece in The Bulwark. 
he's kind of center right, but someone I really respect, love to listen to, and think has good insight. He talks about how there have actually been similar trends in Michigan primaries during the 2012 Obama re-election campaign. Now, I'm not sure if I totally agree with JVL on everything, but he writes here in quotes, In Michigan, there was a concerted, organized effort to get Democrats to vote uncommitted against Biden. This effort resulted in 13.3% of the vote going that direction. But then JVL brings up 2012. He continues in quotes, In 2012, with no organized movement and no dissatisfaction with Obama, 10.69% of Michigan Democrats voted for uncommitted. Basically, he's saying like, yeah, there's an organized movement to vote against Biden this year, and they get 13.3%. But even back in 2012, almost 11% of Michigan Democrats also were not committed to Obama. So he's saying even with an organized effort, like Biden still did pretty damn well. I don't think that's wrong. Where I disagree with JVL and his take in the bulwark is that this isn't to me about the Democratic side. Of course Biden beats the others. Just to put it into perspective, Williamson dropped out a few weeks ago and still beat Dean Phillips, who is actually officially still running. I'm more worried about the general Trump versus Biden and what turnout does in Michigan when Biden has a fractured coalition and people actively wanting to vote against him because they think what he's doing in Israel is wrong, or in Gaza, more specifically, is wrong. And I mean, there's, I could do a whole other podcast on Dean Phillips. Like, I don't even know what the hell Dean Phillips is doing at this point. Like, I actually think he's a genuinely good guy. I think he's misguided, misguided. Sorry, I can't speak. And I think he is kind of doing the wrong thing right now because he is basically just reiterating and mimicking the Fox News Republican argument that Biden is too old. Dean Phillips actually doesn't really disagree with Biden on all that much. And to me, it's seeming more and more like Dean Phillips has become somewhat of a vanity project an ego project where he's staying in now because he just feels like he has to and he wants to and he's enjoying the limelight. But a lot of his actual talking points are just the Trump talking points against Biden, that he's too old and he's not going to make it and we need someone younger. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's too late. I, I really genuinely think it's too late to do that. And again, Dean Phillips doesn't worry me. Marianne Williamson literally dropped out and just came back because she beat Dean Phillips uncommitted. Yeah, you have people like Rashida Tlaib getting people out there. Okay, sure. But but it's the Trump-Biden thing that genuinely worries me. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is it's adjacent to this primary, but not directly associated with it. There is this New York-based organizer named Linda Sarsour, who has been highly involved, not only in this campaign in Michigan, but some of the ones in other states, and interesting side note, she actually co-chaired the Women's March in 2017 and was a prominent anti-Trump activist. I get behind all of that, obviously. That was about the time I left the Republican Party, um, no longer was involved in college Republican politics, and just broke away from it and became the never-Trumper I am today. But she is now saying that just voting for Biden because he isn't Trump is not good and should not be part of the equation. I'm generally torn on this because, as I've said, I can understand why people say we, we shouldn't have to pick between the two worst-case scenarios. I get it. But I have to disagree in this sense because I do think that this is something that needs to be part of the equation. No matter what people think of Biden and his foreign policy, Trump would be much, much worse. Autocrats like Putin 
and even Netanyahu to a certain extent, clearly want Trump back in power because of what he would do in the international realm. I mean, after Alexei Navalny's death, what, about two weeks ago, a little less than two weeks ago, Trump is now comparing himself to Navalny because he's a political prisoner, he's a dissident. Trump is not either one of those, but I think that actually, to me, sums up how just skewed his worldview is. He is rightfully being investigated and going to court for breaking the law. He's not a dissident, he just abused our system. Alexei Navalny was slowly murdered in prison. I think a more apt comparison, even though I don't totally agree with it, would be like Julian Assange and Alexei Navalny. Different, but more similar, where it's kind of a slow death because of being detained, that type of thing. Trump is not in that, but it shows how deranged he's become. And I think his just takes on all of this should tell us enough. And the problem is on social media and just in my real life, I know progressives that are not going to vote for Biden. And they almost seem like they are more critical of their own president, Biden, than they are of the guy who openly supported a coup and is now downplaying it in hindsight. Trump has openly said he would like to do more in Gaza. I mean, I talked to you guys at the beginning about what Kid Rock thinks. I mean, him and Trump are buddies. I would assume they have similar opinions. Trump would would kowtow to Putin involving Ukraine. So I think it does need to be considered that if progressives, you know, go after Biden more than they go after Trump tr- and Trump wins, things will be worse. It's an unfortunate scenario. And I think my heart deep down understands where progressives are. Biden is not perfect. I mean, I've, I've seen the recent interviews where I guess his new thing is to like lick an ice cream cone during interviews. It's not helping your image, bro. It's really not. But that aside, Trump is still worse. To me, it's just, it's just an easy decision. Mercantilist, protectionist, tariff-happy maniac who is a narcissist and is leading almost a cult who doesn't believe in international norms, wants to pull us out of NATO, seems to like dictators, also has no empathy towards the Gazan people. That is much worse than what Biden's doing. And I am exhausted of outlining this, but it is too bad to me that you have smart people like this Linda Sarsour, who was involved in genuine causes understanding the threat of Trump, and now she's saying like Trump shouldn't even be part of this equation because Biden is so bad. I'm sorry, but I just don't agree with that. I just genuinely don't agree with that. I just think that's a horrible take. So anyways, that is going to do it today. A little bit shorter episode. I had to get my double runs in today. Had to get some food. Got to get ready for the storm tomorrow. I'm also just tired. Trivia last night didn't go too hot. Have trivia again tomorrow. Let's get out of here. I got a shower and watch some Curb Your Enthusiasm and try to read some of the three-body problem, which, by the way, I highly recommend. I'll be back, and we'll obviously cover a lot more. There's a lot more to talk about, just not enough time in the day. So anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great night. Adios. Adios.